Hey, keto freaks, this is Carl. Do you or someone you know have trouble focusing? You know what I'm talking about. You sit down to read something, try to figure out your monthly budget, write that novel you've been putting off, or maybe you just can't seem to do one task at a time. Well, you may not know this, but I'm a musician as well as a software developer. Programming is a job that requires focus, long periods of uninterrupted work. It's hard for them and for you. I've created Music to Code By. This is music, yes, but it's specifically and scientifically designed to promote focus. Studies show that when math students were exposed to Baroque music between 60 and 80 beats per minute, they did better with comprehension and testing. So I created more modern music that is neither boring nor distracting, but falls within that tempo range. It's just the right mix. I also made the pieces 25 minutes long. That correlates to research that shows we all get brain fatigue after 20 or so minutes of hard focus. The result is thousands of happy customers. Now, you don't have to be a programmer to reap the benefits of music to code by. It has been known to soothe restless pets, calm fussy babies, and even help autistic kids relax and fall asleep. Listen to some free samples at musictocodeby.net. Welcome back to Two Keto Dudes. This is Carl Franklin from Connecticut in the United States. And in February of this year, I put myself on a ketogenic diet to take control of my metabolism. In that time, I managed to reverse all of my markers of type 2 diabetes with diet alone. Yeah. Hi, I'm Richard Morris in Canberra, Australia, uh, and I've been on a ketogenic diet for over two years. When I started, I was very sick with complications from type 2 diabetes. Within six months of starting a ketogenic diet, all of my biomarkers of disease had disappeared. And we're going to share the progress of my journey through ketosis and Richard's experience thriving for years in ketosis. Yeah. And hopefully that might help a few people who are curious about this kind of dietary hacking. Yeah, that's right. We're not doctors. We don't want to give anyone any medical advice, but we are keen to share our own experiences. We're actually both software developers, so we're not afraid of any, we're not afraid of any technical detail. Uh, we've done some research into our own deranged metabolisms and the science behind them, and we hope to share some of that research. Where possible, we intend to put links in the show notes to cite the research supporting any claims that we make. And you'll probably work out pretty quickly that we're both foodies. Yes, we We're are. also going to share some of the great food that we can eat on this diet. In every episode, both of us share a recipe for an essential keto meal that we eat regularly. Mm. Yeah, so let's start podcast number 15, Richard. Yes. Plateaus. Plateaus. So do we have any corrections or apologies from last week, Richard? I don't have any. How about you? Well, yeah, I did mention that the fat you eat has no effect on insulin. And this is effectively true, but technically false. Dietary fat does raise insulin ever so slightly, but the effect is essentially negligible. However, yeah. we do strive to be accurate on two keto dudes. We do. We do. All right. So let's reprise. What is a ketogenic diet? 
we restrict carbohydrates to incidental carbs, right? That's right. Under 20 grams a day of, of, of net carbs. Yep. Net carbs, by the way, this is something we never really talked about. Net carbs are total carbs minus fiber carbohydrates, which you don't count. Yeah. A lot of people have trouble with this concept of net carbs and total carbs. Uh, total carbs are food that are digestible into glucose, like sugar and starch. Fiber is a type of carbohydrate that humans don't directly metabolize or digest, but some of our back, some stomach bacteria can digest and turn into some calories. So it's a complex thing. And some people have specific reactions to certain sugar alcohols, which consider fiber. So it, it, can get to be a complex thing. So my suggestion is if you're on the ketogenic diet and you're not losing weight on 20 grams net a day, then try uh, counting your gross carbs. And you might find that uh, that's an easier way to get under. But certainly uh, for the first, uh, for the beginning of the diet, uh, 20 grams net grams of uh, of uh, carbohydrates will give you a little bit of uh, wiggle room for, for getting different foods into the diet. And it's also important to note that some doctors say 50 grams is the limit. So really, practically speaking, your results may vary, but between 20 and 50, we just say, don't eat carbs. And That's right. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Yeah, Good you rule know, of thumb, don't eat carbs. Yeah, eat vegetables that are green and leafy and, you know, cabbages and lettuces and broccolis and peppers and celeries and things like that and spinach. But but don't don't worry about that. But uh, just don't eat starches and sugars. That's it. That's pretty much it. And then have a, just enough protein to maintain your muscles. And if you want to know how much that is, go back to our protein show. Uh, we, dis we discuss how you work that, how do you calculate that. And then all of your energy is basically from fat. Right. And the fat you eat, yes, it does get stored. But when you're fat adapted, the fat that you have on your body becomes the source of fuel. And yes. uh, it's a wonderful gift that we have, this gift of nutritional ketosis. That's it. So, Richard, how are you doing? How'd you do this last week? Yeah, I've actually been doing very well for the past two weeks. I've lost about a kilo a week for the past two weeks. Great. And I think I, yeah, I think I put some of that down to going back to my food diary. I use my fitness pal, which is an online diary. Um, and you can get an app on, on, on both iPhones and Androids that will, that will, work with their website um, and it's really convenient because I can just take a, a picture of a barcode of some food that I'm eating, um, weigh, the, weigh the food and specify how much I'm eating and it will register all of the nutritional details and add it to my tally for the day. So I know pretty much how many calories I'm eating during the day. That's now, amazing I, I actually. Yeah, it's 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 convenient. Now I don't I don't count calories uh for the purposes of weight loss, I don't. I don't limit my calories. I eat when I'm hungry, and I don't eat when I'm full. Right. But uh, and that's that's the magic of keto. Doing that, you still lose weight because you're at a caloric deficit. So, right. uh, uh, but but basically, the, the the having a food diary causes me to become a little bit more mindful in how I eat. So yeah. maybe I might just go for a snack in the fridge. I might eat some cheese or whatever if I'm not using a food diary. If I'm using the food diary, you know, I think, well, do I want to go through the hassle of entering that in? Maybe I won't. Maybe I won't have that snack. You know, and it's the same thing that you get, the benefit you get of writing things down. You remember them. Yeah. And so yeah, you're, the true. mindfulness, that's the key word. 
You know, you, yeah. you're mindful of the stuff you eat because you're taking the time to enter it and think about it. You're not mindlessly munching on stuff. That's it. That's pretty much it. So, um, so, so I've certainly broken off my plateau, uh, which is great. Uh, we'll talk a little bit more about my plateau and plateaus in general during the show because this, this yeah. is the plateau show. Right. So how are you going, Carl? I'm actually doing really good. I broke through my plateau as well. And last week during the ketone show, I said that I had sort of not lost and not gained. I had come back from a conference, blah, blah, blah. Mm-hmm. Um, but I busted through it. I did a, uh, a a little bit of a fast and then I did some keto and the weight started coming off again. And nice. I, I, here's Here's something interesting that happened to me yesterday. So mm-hmm. people may or may not know this, but I'm a musician. I did the theme song with John Schofield, uh, the Groover, Get Out of the Way, the theme song for Two Kilo. Yeah, Kilo's I love dude. that song. I, I've got it on my mind. Yeah, Sorry, it's a good it. song. Um, the Franklin Brothers Band is my band, and we play out. And you can check us out at franklinbrothersband.com. So we're playing a gig last night. Now, in preparation for the gig, I don't want to eat because I want energy. And, and it's really ironic to say I, did, I want energy, so I don't want to eat. But <laughs> this is the truth. It's funny how that works, but that's, that is exactly how it works. Yeah, yeah, I don't want a big gut bomb, you know, that I have to burp up my words and sing. All right, so here's the story. Around 11 o'clock in the morning, I make myself a stir fry. I take a nice 10-ounce ribeye, slice it up thin, I get some Kerrygold grass-fed butter. <laughs> you know where I'm going here. This is delicious I know exactly stuff. where you're going. I got this some mushrooms, good. some peppers, a little bit of onion, just a little bit because I don't want too much because of the sugar. And I get some, I got a poblano pepper too, which is a nice little, very little heat, very little, just a nice flavor. And I stir fry all that stuff up. And then I layer on slices of boar's head smoked gouda and I cover <laughs> that so it melts and I just chowed down on that. So that was my meal of the day. And I didn't yeah. eat until, well, I didn't eat for the rest of the night until three o'clock in the morning, but that's where I'm getting on the story. But there's a whole okay. bunch of time that went by there where it's essentially exercising for 10 straight hours. Let me tell yeah, you. Yeah, so you, bu- you bumped in, you bought all of your equipment, set all of that up, then played your sets, and then had to break it all down again. That's a lot of hard work. It's a lot of hard you're work. you're your own roadie, right? Exactly. We're our own roadies. So here's the story. I got to the studio at about 1.30. took me an hour and a half to sort of get everything together, and I, I realized that I sound like I'm doing all the work, but my brother did come and help. But I did the initial work of grabbing all the cables, the mics, the mic stands, packing it all up. So I started at 1.30 in the afternoon, right? We pack it all up. We lug it down the elevator, down to the cars, get it all in the cars, drive it to the gig. Now it's about 3 o'clock in the afternoon. Pull it out of the cars, set it all up. It takes about two hours to set up, walking around, plugging stuff in, checking it, sound check, all that stuff. And then I have a few hours uh, to, to just hang around. So by five o'clock PM, we're done. And, uh, I don't go on stage until nine. So eight 30, we're, we're starting right. now at, from nine, pretty much straight until one 30 in the morning. <laughs> I'm singing my heart out, right? I'm, right. I'm really yeah. singing my heart out and, and it, the kind of singing that we do, it's all funk, soul, R and B kind of stuff. I'm like pushing, right. like my it's diaphragm. Yeah. yeah, it's bodily. My diaphragm hurts at the end of the night, <laughs> right? Yeah. All right. Yeah, 1.30 sure. in the morning, we're done. 
I sit down for a half an hour while everybody clears out. Now we pack it all up, lug it out to the cars, bring it back to the studio, pull wow. it out of the cars, into the studio, lug it up the elevator, down the hallway. And by the time we're done, it's 3.30 in the morning. So this is a lot of exercise. Now it's 3 o'clock, yeah. 3.30 in the morning. Uh, now I'm hungry. I'll bet you are. Yeah. Yeah. And it's not the kind of hungry that, oh, I think I would like you know, some toast or something or some yeah. crackers. No, it's the kind of hungry where your body's saying, you must eat or you will die. Feed me stat. Yeah. I have no idea what it is. Right. Yeah. So I'm like, you know what? Screw it. I exercised a lot today. I'm going to get some fast food on my way home. See what's open. Mm. Now we have this fast food. Every town has a fast food row, right? Right. You've got your Wendy's, Pretty your much, McDonald's, yeah. your Burger King, your Taco Bell, your Dunkin' Donuts, like all in a row. The only thing that was open was Taco Bell. Oh, no. I did. Uh, I went to Taco oh, Bell. No. Check this out, man. Check it out. <laughs> and I do not recommend, by the way, I do not recommend people do this. All right. Now think oh, of hell, this. I, I was exercising for 10 hours in a row. Okay. Yeah. Mm, yeah. Give or take three or four. All right. I got a chicken quesadilla. I got two steak soft tacos. I got two crunchy oh. taco supremes and some quesarillo crappy thing. I had no idea what it was, but it looked yeah. good. I got no soda or anything. I don't drink soda. No. And I ate the whole thing. So, but you ate all of the wheat flour tortillas. Oh, yeah. And, uh, see, Taco Bell is just like the worst food because it's the cheapest possible inputs. And uh, Right. Now, this is after I resisted the pizza that they brought out at the end of the night, which course, I really wasn't, yeah. I really didn't want to eat pizza. I mean, at least Taco Bell, there's meat. Yeah. You know, there is, there is, a, there is some nutrition there. All right. So, here's the funny part. I wake up in the morning, I'm two pounds lighter <laughs> than I was the day wow. before. Yeah. So, and and you've probably packed. You've probably just lost so much water um, at the event that uh, that you packed on some of it again uh, when you ate. You you probably burn through that now uh, over the next couple of days. I guess I guess you go to IF for the next couple of days. And, yeah, uh, I probably will. And you'll burn through that quickly. But yeah. but the fact is, is that um, I woke up two pounds lighter. <laughs> like I don't. Yeah. <laughs> I, I, yeah. I was expecting four or five pounds of water weight, yeah. and it was just yeah. not there. Yeah. And That's I wonder incredible. if I would have been five pounds lighter if I hadn't gone to Taco Bell at three in the morning. But uh, You might have been, but, uh, you know, I, I had pizza yesterday. I had a ham and pineapple pizza. Oh, you um, like that on stuff. On a fathead, fathead pizza base, and it wasn't real pineapple. It was uh, chayote or choco uh, I have this trick of making my own fake uh, pineapple. But so I had these in the fridge. I, I, I make up a pizza for the pair of us. And it used to be that we'd we'd have like a, I'd, I'd eat a, a large pizza and a half just by myself. And right. basically we're eating a small pizza between a, between both of us over two nights. Oh, that fathead so, stuff know, is so filling. I can only eat two slices and I'm done. Yeah. So, so I had that in the fridge. So that's actually probably a good strategy. For that kind of event, before you you leave the house to to go do an event, cook up a fathead pizza and just have it in the fridge. So you know, I could have left it in my car. Actually, you know, I could have had it in could my car done, waiting yeah. for me. These are all good ideas, and uh, the fathead pizza is amazing stuff. And if you haven't tried it, it's a recipe that's on our recipes page. Just go to it. Yeah, it is. All right. So um, one more thing before we get to mail, and that is our Facebook group. We've got almost two hundred people now in there. It's rocking. 
It's called Two Keto Dudes with no spaces, so just search for it. And you can you can easily get to it just if you just uh, go to a browser and just uh, type in the URL FB for Facebook, FB.2Keto, that's the number 2Keto.com, and we've got a link that takes you straight to the Facebook group. That's great. And so we, you know, we are obviously there. Richard and I are there. Tom Seast, who was on our show last week, he's there. Uh, A lot of great people with a lot of experience doing keto are there. So also we share recipes, of course. And uh, like any other sort of um, Facebook group, we're all there to support each other. Yeah. I I think the the most interesting recipes I saw in the past week, there was two. There was a low-carb bagel from Ishe Sagi. And I want to try making that because I've got some of those bagel forms uh, so that looks good. Mm-hmm. And the other thing that – one thing I've really missed since I went keto is homemade pasta, making Real pasta. pasta, yeah. Real pasta, yeah. And um, Thao Lee has uh, put on a recipe for glucomannan pasta, which looks fascinating. So yeah. I'm going to try that one of these days. And if that, uh, if that really works, that's going to become a recipe that I'll do here on the show. Amazing. Well, um, just uh, to go back to my numbers, I'm 51 pounds down. Wow. Yeah. And I just had a um, carotid artery ultrasound done, and I'm waiting for All my right. results. Yeah. And hopefully I'll be able to share those next week, and we'll see what is actually happening there. But, uh, Richard, now it's time for... Mail! Mail! We're just we don't Mail! <laughs> awesome. All right, Richard, who's talking to us? This is uh, an email that I got directly, um, uh, and it's actually from my younger brother, Douglas. No kidding. And he and his wife and their kids have been sort of keto light for the past year or so. Now, when you say keto uh, light, do you mean they haven't fully committed? They haven't fully committed. They they have honeybees uh, in their backyard, so they, they make their own honey. And so oh. they, you know, they're, they're mostly, mostly, I guess, the, probably the best way of saying that they live a low carb lifestyle, but every now and then they'll have seasonal uh, carbohydrates. Oh, okay. So, um, yeah. So, but he he doesn't have type two. Um, I'm the only I'm the lucky one in the family that got uh. the type two diabetes. So um, he doesn't have that. Uh, so you know he's he's much he's in a much better metabolic state. Uh, but he's been he's been doing this for twelve months or so. Um, and uh, so the email goes. Uh, firstly, some background. So I've been exercising semi-regularly for the past six months or so. Just yoga and 5K park runs weekly and a bit of strength training, compound lifting about twice a week. Um, I've noticed some noticeable improvements in my mobility and strength, which has been awesome. But my running has been a struggle and frustratingly slow to to show much improvement. Admittedly, I've done zero Uh, training beyond the 5k park run sessions weekly and my times for the 5k have gotten slowly better over time but I still feel very unfit every single time I run. So that means he Uh, doesn't, running is hard for him, he doesn't feel like he's really on top of it. Certainly not comfortable, and I've, I I share the same genetics, and I have the same problem. I hate running. My knees don't enjoy it. My ankles don't enjoy it. Um, but but so um, so he says I need to give myself. Uh, multiple periods of walking at each run, each session. Anyway, I did some research into how to improve my running endurance and came across the Maffetone method. Maffetone? Uh, this is from a – Maffetone. It's a famous uh, trainer, Phil Maffetone. Um, 
uh, and anyway, this method is is uh, that if you want to build endurance, you should train while keeping your heart rate below one eighty minus your age. One eighty so mi- beats per minute minus your age. So that's right. I'm forty nine, so, so, so it'd it, be one hundred and thirty one for me. That's right. So, um, and you just keep your heart rate just below it, and um, that's that's this method. So, um, and what is it supposed to do? It increases endurance. Okay. Well, that's the theory. So, uh, so this morning, morning, my my brother continues. After I completed my weight session, I woke up unusually early, so I was at the gym early with some spare time. I thought, screw it. I'll have a go on the stationary bike and see what happens. Mm. I pumped out 45 minutes on the bike with zero effort. Mm. Mind blowing. And this is because he's going at a lower pace, a slower pace. It's just an easy kind of rate, and therefore he and found it was easy. He's in keto, so he's able to, to do this forever. Uh, but the the important thing, I think, for him is that he's discovered that it's it's an action that is effortless for him. Yeah. And I find the same thing with my well, – on a bike, I can go – I rode for three hours yesterday. You know, that's wow. – uh, that's you know that's um, that's outstanding. So he goes on to say, I wasn't even short of breath. I just kept my heart rate at about one thirty beats per minute, and it was incredible, wow. enjoyable event. The only reason I stopped was that I needed to pee. Wow! And previously, pre- previously the most I'd done of that sort of cardio was about twenty minutes on the elliptical machine, and I hated every minute. And so he, he, he says that, you know, he knows that I've been riding my bike while fasted and logging yeah. some serious kilometres. So I did 55 kilometres yesterday. Um, uh, but mistakenly, he, he goes on, I just figured that you'd had a history of riding back when you were fat, so it was now easier after the significant weight loss. Hmm. Turns out being fat adapted is great for LISS exercise. That's low-impact steady-state exercise. Wow. He says, I've, I've got a new superpower. <laughs> <laughs> that's, that's amazing. Anyway, he, he thanked us for doing the show and uh, he's enjoying it. So I'm sure he's listening right right now and enjoying that. Yeah, congratulations, Douglas. That's amazing. And and I had never heard of this method and now I'm going to try it. That makes me, what is it, L-I-S-S exercise, low? Low impact steady state. And it's the Maffetone method of, uh, of basically keeping your rate up for your heart rate. Right. Um, and, and I guess if you're I, worried about building muscle, you know, like the bodybuilders do, you need to stress your muscles so that they get bigger. Yeah. But if you want endurance, it's the slow. And, and that's why they say swimming is really good for endurance, right? Yeah, that's right. Definitely. Now, I've got a, I've got one of these Microsoft Band devices, and I believe they're programmable. So I'm going to actually look into whether I can make a write, either write or, or acquire an app for the Microsoft Band that does his Maffetone method, basically, basically, I want to get a little buzz on my wrist to tell me when I'm going below or above, you know, a set range of heart that's, rate. That's great. It's, it's got a continuous heart rate monitor on it, so that's my theory. And and then I'm then I'll, next time I do my bike ride around the lake, I'll just set that going and guarantee that I'm going to hit that. Uh, I love um, it. That uh, peak performance. We also had some comments on our Facebook page that we thought we would mention. This one is from Steiny Erickson. I've never been one for love letters, but damn few have made me feel as good as keto has, she says. <laughs> uh, the steady, even energy, the stable mood, the freedom, the clarity of mind, and the confidence in knowing that what one does is good both short and long term wouldn't change it for the world. Maybe just as well that I don't write love letters. Wouldn't be any good at them anyway. Good night, everyone, and thank you. Uh, thanks, Dina. That's awesome. It, it really is. That steady energy is just remarkable. 
when you're used to the roller coaster of being of having high glucose and low glucose and having to you know having to be driven by your brain to go get you get you a candy bar because you've got low glucose right it makes it much more difficult to uh to focus on something else when your brain is saying if you don't get a candy bar stat we're going to go into a coma you know yeah it's true why don't you read this one from Dan Ham? Yeah, so this is from Dan, and he says that uh, I'm in hour 26 of a water-only fast, and I've just finished a 5K run with no stops or walking. Uh, also, it's 8.17 p.m. here, so I'll soon go to bed and add an easy eight hours more of fasting. And when I wake up, I'll be in my 35th hour. Uh, downside is that my sweat smells like a mix of acetone and urine. Ooh, yeah. I feel unbreakable. I feel unbreakable. Raw. <laughs> so, so, so I, this, he's unbreakable. He's also leaking rocket fuel from his pores. <laughs> so, <laughs> so, uh, it, I also have this, this problem sometimes. And, um, uh, I notice a faint ammonia smell sometimes in the shower after exercise. Yeah, which, me too. And I usually, I usually uh, exercise when fasted. I have a hypothesis, and I'm, I don't know this to be true, so take the following with a grain of salt. But I suspect that um, it's due to ammonia being um, quite happy to turn into a gas and outgas from my pores. Okay. And so somehow I'm getting ammonia in my blood, and I'm not sure why this happens, but I have a speculation, and I. But it involves some biochemistry. I reckon that as I burn through uh, more oxygen, my red blood cells are called upon to do more work, and so, and because they can only burn glucose, when glucose goes below a set range, my pancreas secretes a hormone called glucagon to generate more glucose in my liver, yep. and that glucagon causes any glycogen stores that I've got to be converted immediately into glucose, and it also drives up the process of making new glucose from from available substrates. Uh, and one of those substrates is deaminated amino acids. So that's amino acids that have had their nitrogen stripped off. And so that nitrogen is converted into ammonia, which is quickly converted in the urea cycle into a uh, more inert substance called urea. Ammonia is not a good thing to have in your blood, so you, mm. your, your liver will convert it into urea and then your kidneys filter that out. So by you're your kind of peeing through your pores. It's a component of urine. It's pro it's it's certainly that ammoniac smell. Um, and uh, I suspect if you uh, produce more glucose for your energetic red blood cells, as you're doing cardio exercise, your blood cells are required to carry more oxygen, so they're working harder. Um, I suspect that they draw down some glucose, and that draws down deaminated amino acids, and so you're making more of those. Uh, to keep the process of uh, uh, glucose production That's up. That's interesting. And I think that causes a, a ammonia in the blood. Um, and I suspect that uh, some of the ammonia never makes it to the urea cycle to be exported via urine and it ends up outgassing via your pores. So it, it may even be an adaptation to provide better cooling. Uh, so Maybe. humans, one of the... The one thing that humans are unique at is that they are persistent, long-distance daytime runners. So we have a very efficient cooling mechanism. We can outrun deer. We can outrun most animals, um, not you know, in the short term, but in the long term. This is a really interesting thing that I heard on a podcast recently. It was an NPR podcast that one of the reasons that humans uh, became the dominant animal was our physiology and our ability to outrun animals because we sweat yeah. and animals don't sweat. No. 
No. No. They, they, I mean, you look at a dog, a dog has to pant, um, has to, to, to get rid of heat via, via capillaries in its tongue. Right. So all we had to do was r- keep running and we could run forever as long as we had fat stores to fuel ourselves, which, as you know, can that's a long time. And yeah. all we have to do is waiting for the animal to, to just stop. And yeah, breathe. pretty much. You outrun it until it, until it, until it can't run any further. Yeah. And, uh, and we would outrun much faster animals because we could do it for longer in the middle of the day. Yeah. We're not great hunters at nighttime. Uh, we lack uh, a lot of adaptations for nighttime pri- uh, hunting, right. but daytime hunters, there is no better animal. So, um, so my theory, and as I say, it's just a hypothesis, is that as we run, we produce ammonia and outgas it via our pores, and that's going to produce an even greater cooling effect than than just uh, uh, evaporating sweat. Right. Hey, just a reminder, kids, give us a review on iTunes. That helps people yeah. find us, and, uh, and, you know, that's good for everybody. Send us an email, of course, about any topic you want to talk to us about. Our email address is dudes at twoketodudes.com. Yeah, or come and join us in the Facebook forum. Absolutely. All right. It's time to talk plateaus. And plateaus, I think, as I said in the description of this show, are the biggest reason that most people fail at a low-carb diet. And I can't tell you how many people that I've run into who have lost 20, 30 pounds on low-carb and stopped. And they said, screw it. I can't do this anymore. And they've gained it all back. And these are friends of mine. I can count I can count three or four people that I, I know that have done this. Yeah, I, I think I, I mean, I lost a lot of weight in the first five months and then plateaued for almost 18 months. And I think if I wasn't diabetic, I wouldn't have had a reason to keep on the diet. The fact that I'm I'm, I'm really focusing on keeping my blood sugar stable has kept me on the diet. Had I been around just for weight loss, I might have given up as well. Right. So there are a lot of reasons why people plateau. And Hmm. The most common plateau happens at about, what, three or four weeks? Yeah, yeah. They This is what they call the Atkins post-induction uh, weight loss stall or PISS. I don't right. quite get how that acronym worked. Post-induction stall syndrome, maybe? Yeah, I think that's so, it. Yeah, so I now... Um, and and you see a lot of people say this that you know I went on Atkins I went on for three weeks I lost ten kilo yeah, yeah I lost five kilos or whatever ten pounds and then I stopped losing weight so I gave up because Atkins doesn't work for me right okay and, and I think that what what's happening is that people haven't adapted yet right you know what they've done is they've lost their they've lost their their they've drawn down their glucose storage the glycogen and that's um, because glycogen is stored in a hydrated state, that releases a lot of water, mm-hmm. and you know you could you could be releasing uh, five kilos of, of maybe three to five kilos of just water, and then the next step is that they need to become fat adapted, and once mm. they become fat adapted, they can start drawing down their fat stores in their body, and that's where that's the goal, that's the the that's the the target is to to start reducing your body fat. Right. People never get there, you know. So yeah, you know they reduce their water weight, and then all of a sudden it becomes too difficult, and then they and you know you you see on Biggest Loser people are losing you know seven or or so pounds a week. And you think, oh, I'm not doing that. I'm, I'm not. It's not working for me. So therefore, the Atkins diet is at fault. Yes, and as you've heard on all of the other shows that we've done, particularly the fasting show, that a fast after you've lost your hunger, you know, 
is a really good way to jumpstart the process of becoming fat adapted. For me anyway, and for a lot of other people, uh, I did a 60-hour fast and and that was after, I don't know, how long was it, Richard? Four weeks? Yeah, it was about two or three, yeah, three, three, four weeks. Yeah. yeah, three or four weeks. I did a, I did a fast and that changed everything. Like after that, I knew that I could go three days without eating and still have a lot of energy. Yeah. I've got to admit, at the time I thought it was a bit unwise because I didn't think you'd be fully fat adapted, but apparently you were because you, you fasted like a legend. You know, you, you <laughs> went 60 hours and you were like, I can't believe how much control I've got over things that... Three weeks ago, I had no control over. Right, and so you know that was that was remarkable. And then, as you say, you once once that once you hit that and push through that, um, you're on a steady decline of uh, body fat. That's pretty much it. So what I'm recommending to people, and again, I'm not a doctor, and Richard's not a doctor. We don't, you no, know, we, you should definitely check with your physician. But here's what we're finding: a pattern that works over and over again is you, you go keto, you do for a couple of weeks, you get to that three or four week stall, and then just stop eating for a day. Yeah. For, and if you can go two days, go two days. If you can go for three days, go three days, but just stop eating. And when you when you do this, you need to drink a lot of water, you know? Yep. And when you're hungry, you can either do what Richard does and have a little bone broth, or you can do mm-hmm. what I do and just have a little salt water. Um, yeah. Have coffee, have tea. Um, I like to get uh, xylitol-based peppermints, breath mints, right. and I just suck on those whenever you know. If I want to do something, you know, I need something in my mouth or whatever. And you will find that after the first day, uh, the first day is hard. Especially the first night is very hard. Yeah. So the twenty-four hour mark, I find difficult. Yeah. It might but be once I push past that, it's easy. Yeah, it might be easier for you to have breakfast, have a big keto breakfast, and then go from there because that means dinner won't be so hard for you. The other easy thing to do when you're hungry is sleep. Oh, <laughs> you absolutely. You go to sleep on, a, on, a, on, a, on an empty belly actually feels good and you feel good. When you wake up, you've been in ketosis for uh, the whole night and, and you generally don't feel hungry in the morning. So no, not at it's all. A ro- it's a way of getting a rolling fast on. But the other thing you could do uh, is go back and listen to our fast show because we go into a bit of detail about the uh, the process of extended fasting. Right. And so once you've done a fast, uh, you know, a, an extended fast, your metabolism rate will go up. In other words, yeah. just by sitting around, you'll be burning more fat and you will be burning fat. You'll be mm. burning more fat and losing more weight. And now yeah. you can start doing intermittent fasting. It's when you skip a couple of meals. Yeah. Check out our fasting show. Yeah. We should do one on just intermittent fasting and maybe one on just extended fasting. So right. in a couple of weeks, we might uh, we might uh, revisit the, the fasting concept because back then, I think we'd only done one extended fast each and I've, That's I've right. done three now. Yeah. So uh, uh, in fact, I'm doing one next weekend. Um, uh, I'm going to stop eating on Thursday evening after dinner, I'll have dinner like at um, maybe six thirty, seven o'clock, and I'll stop eating at eight o'clock. Um, probably stop eating after after dinner. Won't eat that night. Won't have breakfast the next morning. Won't have lunch the next day. Maybe have a a cup of broth for dinner that night, and right. I'll be in a th- and I'll, I'll I'll do that from. So I basically won't eat on Friday, I won't eat on Saturday, I won't eat on Sunday mm. until Sunday dinner. So, yeah. But don't you think this is the pattern that we see over and over again that works, Richard, is that when people get to plateaus, and we've been answering uh, 
messages in our Two Keto Dudes Facebook uh, group all week about this. And this seems yeah. to be the number one thing. I've hit this plateau. We say, try a fast. They come back and they say, hey, it worked. I busted through my plateau. <laughs> and now I'm on yeah. the path to losing. This is a pattern yeah. that works for keto people. It is. It is certainly, definitely in that induction phase, that's, that, that, that worked really well for you. Uh, but there are other reasons that we might plateau. Um, and okay. other than just that adaptation process in the initial induction of the diet, there is a hypothesis, a theory that after uh, four or five months of weight loss, that your now emptied fat cells fill with they hydrate they fill with water and that that adds uh, weight to your scale but doesn't add fat to your uh, body fat hmm. um so I and mean, that's one theory um and there are others like sometimes you get into a rut you know you go 6 months 12 months of uh, keto and everything's going fine and then you just get used to that way of living and yeah. uh you slowly mindlessly eat you add midnight snacks in i used to eat uh, i used to eat cheese at will because you know cheese is keto right. but if you eat enough of it if you eat it, cheese still has some carbs if you eat enough of that mm-hmm. eventually your carb limits are going to increase and that that's the other thing you know maybe some carbs are sneaking into your diet uh, I had a. Uh, I used to have uh, a, a pressed salami called a Twiggy yeah, uh, in right. Australia, and in America they call them Slim Jims, a similar kind of thing. Yep. And I, I had a brand that had two point five percent of carbohydrate in it. Mm. So in a hundred grams, you get two and a half grams of carbs. And so I'd have a, maybe a hundred grams of these, maybe two hundred grams of these at a night. Um, and it's, you know, that's quite a lot of food. Well, I changed brand, uh, and I, I was just, I was instinctively eating. So right. that was my goal was to get to instinctive eating patterns. And, um, I found a cheaper brand that were tasty. They were a different brand, but I didn't worry too much about it because I knew salami was pretty keto. Right. And I was, you know, I was only having maybe 100 grams or maybe sometimes 200 grams of this. Mm-hmm. Well, I started doing my food diary. And I used the barcode to scan it in, and I it came up and it was ten percent carbohydrate. Wow! Turns out that this different brand, the second ingredient is, is sugar, so that was why they were so tasty. So I have a similar story now. You remember Emmy, my daughter, who was on the newbies show? Yeah. Well, she's uh, now taking finals at college, and finals are a stressful time, right? They sure are. Yeah. So she's been sort of on a plateau. And she's communicating with me, you know, and say, uh, saying that instead of uh, just eating dinner, she eats dinner and then eats snacks, a lot of late night snacking. Mm. Now, it's all keto, like, you know, uh, nacho cheese with sodium citrate. That's the cheese sauce that I made. Sure. And uh, pork rinds in them and a keto mm. mug cake because her friends were eating Oreos. She said, I didn't need either of those. I was just... I was full after my steak. It was sort of social eating, right? Yeah. And it's you're up late, and and yeah, eating late was really devastating for me. And like her, I didn't gain weight, but I didn't lose any either. It was yeah. strictly a plateau. And I found that by changing my main meal of the day from dinner to lunch, then I had more waking hours after I ate to to process all of that stuff at a higher metabolism. Does yeah. that make sense? No, that makes a lot of sense. That makes a lot of sense. Well, the the other thing is you you, you want to eat in a in a constrained window. You don't want to be 
giving insulin a little pump sort of every every half an hour you have a little you know right. something something from the fridge it squeezes up your insulin just a little bit bit longer you do that for more than half the day the more than half the day you're not burning fat and right. all of a sudden you you're going to be your body's going to be registering that it's running out of energy and so what it does when it runs out of energy is it dials down your metabolism now you're burning things slower right you know all a whole bunch of things that you don't want to happen so so yeah that that for me that was that was a that was part of the reason why if running doing a food diary again i hadn't i hadn't used it since we moved up to canberra in mm. september of last year and uh getting back to using my fitness pal has actually helped me reduce i reckon probably about seven or eight hundred calories per day Wow, I'm eating less just by the fact that I'm using a food diary, and I've identified a few of these things that were increasing my insulin, making me eat more, and uh, so That's that great. was uh, that was it. Uh, and then the final thing I think the final reason why you might plateau is maybe you're at a healthy weight, a weight that your body is willing to defend. Interesting, you know. It, we have this concept of a of a set weight, the the weight that your body is willing to defend. So it's a little bit like this analogy that I have of the temperature-controlled room. Yeah. Your body's weight is like the temperature-controlled room. You set the weight by how much insulin you have in your body mm. or how much insulin on average you have during the day. That's your thermostat. Mm. And your body will determine how much energy it stores based on what that thermostat is set at. And we, we like to think, this whole calorie in, calorie out myth, we like to think, oh, well, if I push myself to do a little bit more exercise or I force myself not to eat something, then I'm going to change my, my, how much energy my body is storing. Mm. But that's actually not how it works. It's a little bit like you're sitting in a temperature-controlled room. Eating less is a little bit like opening a window because you're too hot. Mm. What's going to happen if you open the window? Your temperature-controlled room is going to compensate. It's going, it's <laughs> it's going, going to, to drive heat. up the heaters, turn up the heat. And, you know, the equivalent, you know, do, forcing yourself to do some extra exercises like making a bonfire of some of your furniture because you're too cold, you know. You, what's your body going to what's – what's the room going to do? It's going to turn on the AC. Yeah. So you get to a point where your body is willing to defend um, a particular weight range and maybe – when you started out, you were at an unhealthy rate, but you had high levels of insulin. That was like you had the foot on the insulin accelerator. And as soon as you stopped eating carbs, you took your foot off that accelerator. That's why we call this dietary hacking, because you really are sort of hacking your body to be convinced that uh, we need to make change our set weight to a, a much lower weight. Yeah, that's definitely it. So, and and what we're doing is we're we're. Uh, we're controlling the levers that our body uses to determine how it's going to set itself up. We're turning down the thermostat. That's it. So we t we, we've spoken about fasting. Fasting is a great way to lower your insulin. Lowering the amount of carbohydrates you eat is, is a great way to lower your insulin. Mm -hmm. Doing some exercise is a great way to, to systemically lower your insulin. Yeah. Uh, so these are all great strategies for. Uh, but you don't you don't do exercise just to consume some calories, and you right. don't. You know, don't limit the amount of food that you're eating just to consume some calories. Eat when you're hungry. Mm. Stop eating when you're full. Yeah, don't do what I did. Don't exercise for 10 hours and then go to Taco Bell. <laughs> Probably wasn't the healthiest thing I could have done, but uh, I, I certainly did enjoy it, I got to tell you. <laughs> okay, um, one more thing before we get to recipes, and that is this whole uh, phenomenon of the people who 
went on the show, The Biggest Loser. To It's a competition show, a reality TV show, to lose weight. And they did it by, you know, following the standard low-fat diet exercise and all that stuff. But it turns out that all these people that went on the show, their weight came back with a vengeance, didn't it? Yeah. Yeah. In, in fact, it, 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 this is something that uh, this was in the New York Times just uh, two weeks ago. And uh, the this study with the lead investigator was uh, Kevin Hall from the NIH, and and he said that uh, he said it's frightening and amazing uh, this uh, exp- experience, and it has to do with your resting metabolism, which determines how many calories a person burns when they're at rest. Right. And when the show begins, the contestants, even though they're massive. Uh, they're all heavily overweight, they'd had normal metabolisms for their size, meaning that they were burning a normal number of calories for people of their weight. And when the show ended, and they'd all had, you know, 100-plus pound weight losses, um, when the show ended, their metabolisms slowed radically and their bodies were not burning enough calories to maintain their thinner sizes. Uh, researchers uh, knew that just about anybody who deliberately loses weight, even if they started at a normal weight or even underweight, will have a slower metabolism when the diet ends. So they were not surprised to see that the Biggest Losers contestants had slower metabolisms when the show ended. What shocked the researchers was what happened next. As the years went by, and they, they followed these people for five-plus years, as these years went by, the numbers on the scale climbed. The contestants' metabolisms did not recover. They became even slower and the pounds kept piling on. So what you're saying is they were turning the thermostat up rather than down. That's right. When they were losing weight, they, the body was thinking, oh my God, we're, we're starving here. We have to conserve every calorie. We're going to s- slow the rate at which, uh, you know, at which we burn uh, calories. And it never came back. No, that's right. What they were doing was burning all of their furniture. And uh, to mm. try and you know to keep the temperature of the room up, and meanwhile the room was trying to compensate as hard as it could. It wasn't keeping up, and the bon- the bonfire was working fine for as long as you had furniture to burn. Once <laughs> you ran out of furniture to burn, all of a sudden now the AC is full kicked on, and so you go straight back and get, and so get even worse. So the Biggest Loser would have done well to eat bacon for three days and then just stop eating. Pretty much. In <laughs> fact, that. Of all of the people that they followed, the only person who managed to pretty much – there were two people who managed to pretty much keep their weight off. One had bariatric surgery and the other went on a low-carb diet. And wow. so, you know, this is this is the thing is you're affecting a symptom rather than affecting a cause. Yeah. When you change the insulin, you're changing the cause of why, why you're overweight, why you have insulin resistance, why you have a higher chance of getting a heart attack. Mm. Insulin is the cause of all of these. By just changing the amount of weight that you have, doesn't change the underlying cause, and so you just got to go straight back to it. And of course, your body is fighting it the whole way. Yeah, it's really an old story, isn't it? And we hear it over and over again. It's sad, and um, we're we're just happy that we found this miracle called the ketogenic grateful, diet. Grateful, in fact, yeah, yeah, grateful. All right. Well, with that sense of gratefulness, it's time for recipes. Recipes. Recipes! 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 I'm sounding like Barry White. I got a little chest cold. I got that Barry White thing happening there. (laughs) 
<laughs> One of my favorite David Letterman top 10 lists was top 10 words that sound sexy when spoken by Barry White. <laughs> and Barry White came out to say the words. And, and one of them, I'll never forget, was gingivitis. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it kind of it it does. <laughs> oh. Uh, so, Carl, Carl, what recipe do you have today? Well, I noticed that both of our recipes today have to do with chicken. Yeah. Yours has to do with chicken that you make. Mine has to do with chicken that you get in a restaurant. And I'm particularly talking about chilies, which if you live in the United States, you know what chilies is. It's a chain restaurant and they have lots of, you know, fajitas and chili and burgers and stuff. Yeah. And it's, you know, it's hard to eat keto out sometimes if you don't know. Uh, if you don't know what the menu is, but I'm here to tell you that you can have a delightful experience at Chili's uh, as a ketogenic dieter because they have these things called smoked wings. Mm, yes, they are nice. smoked chicken wings. So they're not breaded or battered at all. Not breaded, not battered. They're just smoked. Mm. Now, they normally come with a sugary barbecue sauce, but you can simply say yeah. no sauce. Yeah. I went to dinner tonight with my wife. And I brought with me a little, tiny little Tupperware filled with the last of my Chart House blue cheese dressing. Mm. And I also took a couple of strips of bacon out of the fridge. Emergency bacon. Yeah, my emergency <laughs> bacon stash. I took two strips and put them in a little sandwich bag. I put that in my coat. And I got a, a, a regular salad with no croutons and no dressing. And of course, I use my own dressing. Nobody cares. Then nobody's going to say, hey, ah. what are you doing bringing your own food into a restaurant? Did you know that? <laughs> Nobody cares. All you got to do is say, look, I have strict dietary requirements. Yeah. And then they'll leave I, you I alone. Generally, I generally look people in the eye and say, dude, I'm diabetic. And that, <laughs> that's, that's right. that quietens them up. <laughs> yeah, you can pretty much say that uh, that works. So with that and the smoked wings, uh, it's just a delightful dinner. And I ended up actually sopping up the last of my Chart House blue cheese dressing with the last wing. And it was just amazing. Yeah, the important thing there is to go for naked wings. Don't go for breaded or... I think Emmeline had this problem once. She went and ordered some chicken wings and ended up getting some that were breaded and had a horrible experience. Yes, that's right. You have to make sure that the wings you're getting are not breaded and battered. And buffalo wings, typically, even with buffalo sauce, have no carbs. If they're not, right. as long as they're not breaded, buffalo sauce is actually very easy to make. Really, you get some either Frank's Red Hot sauce or Tabasco sauce, and right. butter, melted butter. That's it. That's it. Huh. That's buffalo sauce, and you know, frying wings is no problem. If you have a fryer, I have a little pro fry deep fryer. Yeah, yeah. But if you don't want that, you can just fill a, you know, a saucepan or even a tall uh, fry pan yeah. with some, some oil. Yep, lard. Yeah, lard is great. Use the right kind of oil. Yeah. Yeah, and uh, just fry them suckers right in there. Toss them in the, uh, in the Frank's Red Hot and Butter mixture, and you've got yourself buffalo wings. Mm, nice. Well, yeah. since we're talking about chicken, I actually have a recipe here for low-carb southern fried chicken. Now, Richard, and, when you yeah. say Southern Fry, are you talking like KFC chicken? Uh, like, is it that yeah, good? Yeah, it's, it's better than that. You, oh. I, I have a I have a thing with KFC that yeah, you know, every six months, I 
I'd eat KFC and then wouldn't be able to eat it again for another six months. It was yeah. just like, oh, no, I can't. And then six months down the road, I'd be getting a craving for something about those 11, 11 yeah. he- secret herbs and spices. And, <laughs> and one of those secret herbs and spices is sugar. So that's probably yeah, where that's my probably craving the was coming from. So, But anyway, I have a recipe. This is actually Julie's recipe for fried chicken. And uh, it's it's delicious. I it's on my blog. You'll actually see a, an awesome photo. I'm looking of, at it right uh, now, my friend. <laughs> it's looking good and it? salivating. And I reckon that would be great with your buffalo sauce. Yeah. So um, so you'll need a little time for this recipe. A lot of my recipes involve a little bit of time setting up. Sure. But generally, I'll cook a, a bunch of meals all in one fell swoop. So you know you can certainly do three or four meals and just keep this chicken in the fridge. Yep. So you should also play around with your spice mix. Use your favorite spices. If you like things spicy, add some cayenne pepper. If you like it more garlicky, you add a little bit of garlic powder. Um, So basically what you do is you marinate your chicken in either buttermilk, full cream milk, or cream. Now, we use um, uh, half cream, half buttermilk. We, We make buttermilk from making butter. So, mm, yeah, uh, but you can buy you can buy buttermilk in the, in the store. So, what does buttermilk do to or cream for that matter? What does it do to soak it? Why do you do that? Yeah, so what it does is it relaxes the fibers of the meat, and that makes that meat easier to eat, more melt in the mouth. So, is that a, a fancy way to say tenderize? Is it? It's it, it, that's exactly what it's doing. Okay. It's tenderizing the meat, and it's infusing a little bit of the liquid into the meat. So okay. it it, uh, it it plumps up the the chicken, um, and it allows any spices that you've got in there to 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 get into the into the chicken. Okay. So we use a boneless thigh fillet with a skin on. Mm. And you have to order that because for some reason, in both Australia and America. People just love chicken breast, and right. all of the rest of the chicken is considered refuse. Well, you know, because chicken breast is healthy because it's low fat. No, it ain't. And you got to grill it. <laughs> you got to grill it. Oh, I know. I find it dry and tasteless. Oh, it's terrible. I'd much rather eat a stock made from the bones or eat a chicken thighs, the oh, brown yeah. meat, the meat I'm with, with the fat on it, meat with the skin on it. So. So we use uh, we use these boneless thigh fillets with the skin on, and we order those from our butcher. We get about two kilo bag of the, <laughs> of the things. The butcher just uses them to make chicken sausages. So when you go to a butcher and get chicken sausages, they're made with you know the, the thigh fillets with the skin because you know that's it, the fat. Nobody wants to buy it, but it's the best stuff. It's the best tasting stuff. Great. So. Um, so we have a little baby uh, deep fry that we use. Uh, we actually got from Aldi, but it's a, a I guess maybe two liters of uh, yeah. of uh, fat. So you cut the chicken into the size that you want. The larger the piece, the longer it will take to cook. Okay. You make them bite size, so you have and you have popcorn chicken. Um, if you cut each thigh into thirds, you get a, a reasonable chunk of uh, like a chicken nugget. Like a chicken nugget, yeah. So you salt the outside of it and rub that into the chicken, and that draws a little bit of the moisture out. Sure. Then, that, then you're going to place the chicken in a bowl and add enough milk cream or buttermilk or a combination of these to cover the meat. And then you leave this in the fridge for at least two hours, but as long as 12 hours. And hmm. you, what you're doing is you're marinating. Okay. And you're you're plumping up the chicken and you're slightly tenderizing the, the proteins in the meat. 
So next you make your coating and how we do this is we start off with the flour replacements. We use half a cup of coconut flour, half a cup of soy flour. And that's okay. a good combination that keeps the strong flavors of each at bay. Hmm. Uh, then we add some spices to this mix. And I have a list of spices on the website on my recipe that you can use, but you can use anything from paprika. You can use garlic powder, as we mentioned. Uh, you can use cumin and coriander if you want a more Indian style. Smoked paprika meal. maybe? Smoked smoked paprika, absolutely. Mm. So um, so when the chicken's been marinated for at least two hours or more and you're ready to start cooking, you take it out of the fridge and uh, you get it to room temperature or thereabouts and you then uh, you put your oven on a low temperature to keep the, the fried chicken warm while batch frying. Right. So what we're going to be doing is we're going to be taking the chicken out of the buttermilk mixture. We're going to be dredging it in some egg and we've just got a beaten egg uh, in a bowl that we we soak the chicken in to to basically coat the outside of the chicken with a sticky egg mixture. And I love how orange your eggs are in Australia. That yeah. is a really good sign of a healthy egg, right That's there. That's a really good egg. Th- those are those are actually from a friend of ours. Um, he has oh. chooks, and I really want to get my own chooks because oh, yeah. the the quality of the eggs you get from your own chickens is just outstanding. Yeah. So. So you take your you take your chicken, you've dredged it in in a bit of this egg mixture to add a sticky eggy coating on the outside. Yep. Then you you coat it in the in the the flour mixture, and then you're going to deep fry the chicken in a fryer, and then you put them in the oven. You can put basically after you've deep fried them, if you want to get some of the fat off the surface, you can put them on a paper towel, and then you put put them in the oven. And we've got a small fryer, so we have to make multiple batches. So we just put them in the oven just to keep them warm. Or you can and just put them on a plate and eat. <laughs> absolutely. <laughs> so these will save in the in the fridge for a couple of days, and they can be microwaved to be brought back up to temperature. So um, I have all of the nutritional facts on the website. And so that is my recipe is when you've got a craving for KFC, you can make your own low-carb southern fried chicken. Now, I'm wondering how you came up with half and half coconut and soy flour when there are so many flours out there that you could have used. I find soy flour to be a little bit, oh, well, you know, soyish. Yeah. It has that flavor to it. And and uh, I, I appreciate coconut flour because, you know, hey, who doesn't like a good coconut? But how did you come to – did you try different flours and, and arrive at that ratio? Yeah, we tried lupin flour, which is a type of um, legume. Uh, we tried uh, besan, which is uh, another kind of legume. We tried a bunch of different flours. I like coconut flour, and Julie's not a fan of the coconut flavor in coconut flour. And she tends to like soy flour more, and I find it, as you say, it's got a bit of a chemically sort yeah, of taste a to it. Yeah, mealy kind of. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah. But the two of them together tend to cancel each other out. It's a little Isn't bit like erythritol and stevia. Both erythritol and stevia are nasty separate, <laughs> but when you bring them together, <laughs> they, they tend to ca- cancel out each other's evil. Oh, that's interesting. Uh, you can also use uh, like carb quick or, or you know, something right. like that. But um, but I, I quite like this uh, this soy, and especially with the chicken, for some reason that you, it loses all the soy flavor and it right. just tastes, it tastes like tastier, better made KFC. Excellent. I'm going to do it. Yes, awesome. And I'll report back and tell you how awesome it is. Yeah, I look forward to hearing that.
All right, Richard, that's a show. We hope you've enjoyed the plateau show. We certainly have enjoyed breaking through our plateaus with you. Yeah. And uh, we hope you can do the same. Of course, if you have anything you want to tell us, something we said wrong, something you don't agree with, or something, some maybe some more research that you found to support or even refute what we've said, yep. send it by email to dudes at twoketodudes.com or post it on our website. And definitely check out our Facebook page, Two Keto Dudes, fb.twoketo.com. That's it. Come and join us. Keep calm and keto on. Keep calm and keto on, Carl. We'll see you next time on Two Keto Dudes. Gingivitis. Gingivitis. <laughs> <laughs>